32 counties. United by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week in United Ireland, we go backstage and under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about without a load of people shouting at each other in the studio. This week's question. Will Cork be the real capital this summer? As Dublin City Council struggles to prepare the city for outdoor living, um, the capital of the country, the city centre of it, is being uh, overtaken, really, by practical and simple uh, actions in other councils, such as Cork and Dunleary-Ruth Down. So what is going on with the outdoor plans for the capital and elsewhere right now? What's planned? Where are the balls being dropped? And what can we expect? This podcast runs entirely on renewable fuel generated from Patreon. Please put some petrol, no, please put some wind in our tank over at patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we make this obviously because we love it, but we also make it with our time and our passion and our energy and we need to get paid. So if you can pay us, that would really uh, be very valuable to our lives and our survival. Just three euros a month will get you the glowing, loving feeling of having supported this podcast so that it can keep going and keep giving you good bits. We have a great episode of Byline this week. If you haven't listened to it already, Suzanne Lynch, who's the Washington correspondent uh, for the Irish Times, formerly the European correspondent for the Irish Times, has been a correspondent in extraordinary circumstances, uh, was in Brussels for Brexit and in DC for most of uh, pretty much all of Trump. Um, yeah, all of all of the Trump uh, term and is now in that transition phase uh, with Biden's term. So we got, uh, we had a great chat with her. If you want to find out about what it's actually like in the White House press corps, um, all of the expense that goes with um, the coverage, how how US uh, organisations kind of have to spend loads of money to cover various things. And just Suzanne's career is fascinating as well. She has a PhD in Virginia Woolf from Cambridge, not necessarily the traditional uh, start of a medical uh, uh, career. Yeah, but she and she, she so she's fantastic. It's really like full of great nuggets. So um, if you're into that, check it out. And we have loads of more um, bonuses coming up as well. We know we took a fallow week last week because we knew that we had a bank some, holiday hangover. <laughs> we knew that we had some good stuff coming up and we have been actually podding flat out. So um, we have a lovely 32 questions coming. Mm-hmm. We have a lovely bonus episode coming, uh, which is very interesting next early next week. And then we have another episode again with via the Sunday Seeds on Sunday. So for more, could you? Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland to support all that. But now it's the state of the nation. Well, well, well. Bit of a bumpy old road for Ireland this week. Um the captain of HMS WTF, uh, Stephen Donnelly. Is MSWTF. <laughs> I must write that down for our, our copy this week. Continue. Um, Stephen Donnelly, who was Andrea, Andrea is consistently pointing out is the king of overpromising, under delivering. Um, he hasn't had a great week, really. Um, he, so Simon Carswell had a story about him <laughs> querying the number of tweets that he was mentioning from the Department of Health. I mean, just, I actually can't even believe that we're talking. Um, anyway, at the height of January's fucking crisis, he... Now, I know that is bananas that he did query that, but I did see a friend of the pod, Sonia, did, tweeted about this and she was like, okay, this is in bits, obviously, on the, mm. on the top line of it. But when you dig deeper of uh, Fine Gael, like obsessed with keeping themselves in government. If all their uh, ministers are being highlighted and Fianna Fáil's are being muted, maybe there is a bigger question. I Like, you know, I just don't think 
it's as strategic as that or as big picture as that. I do think that we're getting, you know, coming again and again back to the competence of Donnelly and... Um, priorities of ego. Yeah, just that, that obviously there's, there's you know, uh, you know, he is a big ego. I mean, it's, pre- it's pretty, pretty obvious and can spoof an awful lot in interviews and things like that. And, um, you know, you, you kind of do look at the state of state of the nation and be like, why this guy's minister of health. Anyway, we know my feelings on Stephen Donnelly. Um, he then get, did a terrible interview in Morning Ireland. Um, and then Simon Harris was on Claire Byrne the following day and was asked about this Twitter thing. And Claire Byrne asked him about his social media presence. Um, uh, like, because Dermot Ferreter had written this column about like, you know, social media politicians, vacuous, blah, blah, blah. And Harris very expertly kind of shirked the question because he was talking about, well, you know, there's no need to be snobby. Like we need to communicate with people in loads of different ways. Nobody is denying that social media is a medium by which you communicate with people. The issue is that Harris's social media uh, output is ridiculous. I mean, like, like it's like the CBB's kind of approach was when the clocks were going, were changing and he did up a graphic with his face on it. Don't forget the clocks. I know. And it's just like, like, you know, Harris is not, you know, doing an AOC, like he's not on Twitch talking about like Amazon union busting. Um, it's literally like really bad, um, you, you know, wow, just perfect. nothing, nothing. Just like, here's my desk. I'm on Zoom again. So he managed to very uh, cleverly shirk that question. And I do think that a lot of people who only care about the superficial aspects of politics, who are only interested in which personalities they can be a fan of, you know, and clap their hands to that, you, you know, might enjoy, uh, here's my cup of tea, but it's, it's, it is nonsense. Um, so, uh, I think you're, you're right there, Andrea, about referencing what Sonia said about the Finnegal's obsession with this kind of influencer filter, uh, pardon the pun, that they have over their social media presence, but obviously trying to figure out who's mentioning me more, you know, when loads of people are dying and there's like 4,000 cases of COVID a day. And having stupid. people action that, like there's a team who had to go and monitor the accounts and count them. Maybe just be the change you want to see in the world because or in the department of health (laughs) nobody can change your life except for you you (laughs) okay this is a uh, james kavna easter egg uh, from claire byrne on uh, monday night which you were you were messaging me being like they're doing mock-ups they're doing mock-ups again on claire byrne you have to watch it i think my response was I hate Ireland right now. <laughs> no, I think it was just, it's like when people were talking about like reading in the years, you know, reading in the years 2010, I was like, I'm sick of Ireland right now. I'm literally, I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning last night watching The Sopranos. That's all I care about. I cannot engage with this country in my current, uh, my current headspace. Um, but they were talking about uh, outdoor stuff, right? So this is uh, our topic today as well. Um, somebody else, um, speaking of social media, really interesting story by Ken Fox, uh, Ken, Ken Fox, the king of the FOIs on, um, these kind of expenses that TDs pay people for like PR advice and stuff. And in one of them, Stephanie Preisner, who is a, uh, columnist with Sindo and a TV writer, um, got 600 or not 600, got six grand from, Fianna Fáil's star performer, no, that's a joke, and Rabbit uh, to get some comms lessons, I guess. I just thought that was extraordinary, like Mort. You know, this is a, a TD who um, was against repeal, has been quite derogatory in a weird way about Tume. I think she opposed kind of the, the, the ex- even the excavation or the, or the, or the approach to that. Um, I just thought it was bizarre. It's like, but the I mean, of all the, of all the people to be giving to giving comms advice to, but I think well, a the people to be giving comms advice, but the more sinister side of it is a random mother and baby home report. Um, Clarissa explains it all was uh, putting out loads of content about uh, the mother and baby homes and tr- and like guys, you need to get on board with this report, even though the survivors of 
the mother and baby homes were like, sorry, no, we can't accept this. And uh, Stephanie was like, this is not the intention. The government have done a lot of work, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just, oh, I didn't uh, know any of this. What was this? What was, was this on Instagram or something? Yeah, she did loads of Insta stories, just coercing. About the mother and baby home before it? Yeah. Why are you talking about that? Because she was in, like, obviously involved with Anne Rabbit around the coming out of it. Well, we don't know that. She was involved in, in, in oh, giving Anne Rabbit comms advice. Okay. Yeah, that's a weird flex. Um, um, that's a really weird flex to be talking about the mother and baby home report without when so many survivors and experts are like uh, giving, you know, people like maybe listen to like people like Maeve O'Rourke on the mother and baby homes report, not, um, you I know, think- somebody with a kind of a low low follower influencer account on on Instagram. But I think also the problem that's been highlighted is that if you're going to be giving like advice to your followers um, as kind of an impartial, non-biased, this is what's happening, guys, this is blah, blah, blah. Um, And also, um, yeah, if you're going to be giving that advice and but you're going to be getting paid by Fianna Fáil, then you really have to be saying that like, obviously get the money if you want to grant, but like be open when you're given then I'm being paid right. in the fall about this advice because there's right. a, a, a financial bias there, obviously. Yeah. And regardless of what that comms was, the, the comms, the 6K worth of comms advice was around. Um, I think you're right when you're, when you're then turning around and you're positioning yourself as, as somebody kind of clarifying different Not things. Not clarifying. One day Stephanie uh, couldn't, uh, update her followers with a story but she's like here's some other places you can find out RTE News the Irish Times so it's it's a positioning of being the news right I, I have I, I, I haven't noticed this this um this facet of uh of the goings on but yeah I suppose if you're taking money from Fianna Fáil and you're talking about politics there's a there's a bit of spawn con uh, going on there I suppose um anyway I thought that was unusual uh the AstraZeneca vaccine shenanigans Ooh, okay, so this is kind of confusing because there's been so many um, back and forths with uh, this vaccine from the from the trial stuff uh, onwards. It was initially, um, have I got this right? Like they initially paused it for over 70s and now it's being paused for uh, under 60s. Under 60s. And um, so it'll be the 60 to 69 cohort that'll get that, I think on one day this, this week, 15... Thousand people had their vaccine stalled because of that. Um, that obviously means there's going to be delays. I know that the constant caveat of um vaccine advice has always been around um, or not vaccine advice, vaccine rollout has always been around su- supply. Um, so you know, I know, kind of make a joke about Stephen Donnelly uh, over promising, but but these kind of things they really knock you back, I suppose. And they also knock back the narrative around like the people who are questioning vaccines of if the stuff is keep changing and it, it helps influencers who are uh, maybe growing their following due to putting out crazy stories uh, to be use these things when there's a miscommunication or like or not a full information. But one of the girls in Trap Pop, she is working with the rollout of the vaccine. She's a scientist as well as a nail artist. And she was saying that uh, that it it is only young women who are affected by the AstraZeneca and the blood clotting so that it is safe for over 60s, blah, blah, as an expert. Mm. And this is the same reason, the same side effect that Johnson & Johnson has also posed in the US. This was kind of a lot of people's great white hope, really, the, you know, the one shot. And also for you know, cohorts that you may only be able to get in for uh, one shot of a vaccine, um, like people who m- might be difficult to follow up on, for example, um, people who are homeless. Um, and But they're, they're both the same. They work on the same basis, those vaccines. They're both viral vector vaccines. So they're going to have probably similar side effects. So that's a bit of a blow. Um, but you're it's saying... Kind of, it's kind of interesting though as well, though, because why and it just is frustrating that the whole conversation around blood clots on the pill are never funded or researched or developed when and obviously because this affects the whole population and not just women um even though it is women who are suffering but uh it's being paused and obviously um it should be or whatever the experts say but it just raises um a question over how uh women's health is so often overlooked for funding and research 
Fair. Um, you have here the online vaccine registration opens this week. I've been ignoring this. What's going on with that? So the online portal opens tomorrow for 60, for people who are 69. Then the day after, it's people who are 68. The day after, 67. So you can go online and register. So it's a, bi- it's a big step towards our vaccination rollout. So it is good news. Excellent. Okay. And now we're going to try and bring you through whether or not things are actually going to be moving in Dublin for outdoor living and socialising this summer. So Andrea, as you know, I have... um... Can I I start? Okay, you can, yeah. There I was living my life um, and getting these momentarily messages going, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, I feel like you're a little bit frustrated at the moment with Dublin City Council. And then I got the best voice note ever. Not the best voice note ever. Of like, you have no idea. Wait till I tell you the journey I've been on over the last month trying to write an article. Take it away, you know. Yeah, so basically um, <clears throat> I've been writing about uh, – obviously, you know, Dublin forever, but uh, particularly in relation to the pandemic and how Dublin would have to change an awful lot to facilitate people existing in the city centre and so that the city centre wouldn't die, basically. Um, that that loads of different things would have to be, be done and that Dublin was particularly vulnerable to the impact that the pandemic was going to have on our lives. And um, so I think I wrote a piece back in... March of last year about those vulnerabilities and what was going to potentially happen. Um, and, and that has kind of come to pass. And then over the course of the last year, querying why there weren't, you know, radical outdoor plans for Dublin um, and talking to a lot of business owners, talking to a lot of people who work in the city, talking to a lot of people uh, in the council and just consistently it's very difficult actually to to write about this story because you don't want to be super negative. Um, but at the same time, you do have to be very honest with people and you have to be realistic. And but basically after Christmas, um, you know, it was kind of looking that like, okay, we're going to have another summer of this, obviously. And there needs to be there hasn't really been anything of note done in the city apart from bike lanes um, and like really small things like little parklet seating areas or, you know, the odd bench or something like that. And we're going, and so the council didn't do anything for last summer of, of large, of massive note. I think that's fair to say. Um, They issued some more street furniture licenses and so on. Um, And so kind of looking down into 2021, I was like, okay, obviously something big is going to have to change because uh, there will be more people socialising outside because of the vaccine rollout. And uh, yet at the same time, it's quite unlikely that indoor dining and indoor socialising will be operating at least, you know, midsummer, you know, or, or late summer. So in I I basically sat about trying to find out what what all of the outdoor plans were for Dublin City and what had been done, what groups have been set up in the council to roll this stuff out, uh, all of the figures of uh, you know outdoor seating changes, about street furniture licenses, what plans had been drawn up by the council. Um, what pedestrianisation works were going to be happening, what was going to be changing with parks, what new areas would be um, utilised for outdoor socialising and obviously the issue that a lot of people are talking about around public toilets. And so I started this at the start of March and it took a full month to go back and forth with the council to actually get anything that I could even write about um, and in the end, you know, I kind of said to them, like, everything that you've sent, sent to me is really, really vague. And I don't know how I can actually pull this together. Now, they've sent me, they sent me what they had done. It's just that what they had done 
was really not a lot. And um, I, I got I got quite frustrated, as you know, Andrea, like trying to trying to do this because I just couldn't understand um, why they weren't forthcoming with what they had done and why they weren't forthcoming about what they were going to do. And you kind of just really have to draw the conclusion then of like, oh, like nothing that we actually need is is really happening. Um, but you have to put that in a particular way that you're not just like giving out about the council again. So I wrote a piece then last week um, about this. And as the piece was kind of going to print, uh, the council launched this city recovery task force. But let me bring you back to to what they have done. So but basically, um, a lot of the messaging coming from the council is is quite poor. Um, their comms are quite you know, they 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 just don't seem to have like a, a cohesive way to like pull information together. So I got a couple of documents, um, both of which were really lacking. One was like a list of things that they had done, like just numbers of like um, the amount of emails we're getting on COVID mobility and the amount of promotional videos we've put out and the amount of pedestrian crossings we've done. And it was just like, this is not a vision. Yeah, there's no, this is not a vision and this is not a strategy. Like, this is like, where is the plan? Um, and then there was a, a document that was really quite threadbare that they sent me about outdoor plans for summer. Um, you know, that they'd, list, uh, they'd issued an additional 76 temporary street furniture permits. Um, I'm just looking through it now again like a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense around that, you know, they had um, briefly pedestrianized various streets, but, um, you know, they're interested in doing that again, but of course can't do that under level five. And it's like, but you're not going when the restrictions ease, you can't then start doing pedestrianization works. Like they have to be ready. Um, Nothing with the parks, basically. Like I'm just looking back at the document here now. The toilets comments. Yeah, well, the part, like one of the things that they wrote in this, like, you know, hundred words they gave me about the parks is like, it is in your hands to keep Dublin City Parks open for all. <laughs> That's not a plan. Like, and then, oh yeah, events, blah, blah. And so they, they sent me like photos of what they, they told me that they delivered this plan on Smithfield for outdoor dining. Um, I, when I asked to see that document, they then said that they actually hadn't finished it. Um, in speaking with people who work in businesses in Smithfield who are incredibly frustrated with what's going on, um, they haven't seen anything of note either. Obviously, that's a massive public square that's been completely empty. Um, then they were like, okay, well, we've helped, you know, we've given them some chairs and like windbreakers and stuff. And you're like, this again, this is not a plan. And with regards to the toilets then, um, so they have two public toilets, one on Stevens Green, one on Wolftown Square. They've got 1,500 people a day using them. So there's obviously massive demand. And when I... Would you say there's a market for it? Well, so when I went to asking them about the public toilets thing, they just wouldn't give me an answer. And they would say things like, we're investigating, you know, the possibility of... And it's like, this is, you know... Just put the fucking public toilets, sorry for my language, like in the city. And and it's re it's this is it's so I was talking to my parents about it last night. <clears throat> um this is so um it's so demeaning, you know, like the fact that people have to try and make a case for not pissing in the in the street. And and never mind people who actually can do that. Like the, the lack of fairness for elderly people, for people with limited mobility, for people using wheelchairs, like this is disgraceful. Like we all know it. Cathy Sheridan had written quite a good piece about it around dignity and rights. I kept going back to them on this. They couldn't provide an answer. And then basically what emerged is that they had this plan to ask um, coffee dock people, um, people who run like these kind of temporary coffee places. I'm sure you've seen plenty of them, particularly in, in the suburbs um, in in different cities in, Ar- in Ireland, like shipping container things, that they would basically provide a toilet and that the council would then reduce their rates. 
or waive their 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 license fees and stuff. And like the idea that somebody who's running like a coffee stand is going to also man a public toilet, clean it, have security for it, like make sure nothing untoward is happening in it. Like it's just so, it's not practical. And also that is not service provision. You are the local government. You are the authority to provide the basic, I mean, hopefully advanced, but like no, like even just the basic public services in the city. You can't just privatise that. You can't just let somebody else do that. And they came back to me and said, you know, the the you know the the demand will kind of be market led and and it's just like what are you even talking about like the market for what the market for people pissing somewhere the market for coffee stands like this is just a total joke so i was getting really really frustrated um i i put the article out and they online on the irish times and they then announced this city task force uh, city recovery task force, which I was, you know, went back to the council and said, you know, you could have told me about this, like what is going on, and and they basically said, their the press officer, the head of the the press there said, oh, you know, I only found out about it last night. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're on the task force, um, so it's this kind of crack, you know, and, and that basically says to me, and when you look at the task force, it's essentially the people in the executive, um. Yeah, There's a guy, a guy appointed to to be like head of recovery or something, but it's literally the people whose jobs that already is like you know to do these things, and they're calling it a task force, calling it a city recovery task force, and you know Owen Keegan's you know obviously like the head of it or whatever, and uh, that's that, and it's just really really lacking. So this is not some kind of conspiracy that the council are keeping everything under wraps and that they're. Uh, that they're like, you know, they have all these plans and they're just like going to announce them on a big launch or something. It's like, there actually is very little going on. They're like troubleshooting. And the council suffers from this quality of always being in kind of like enforcement mode and obstruction mode and not a facilitatory mode. And it's very frustrating for me having written so much about this you know, so much about the city over the past decade and so much about the city and the outdoor plans over the past year. Hearing this stuff um, from the council again and again, because what you also hear simultaneously is loads of people talking about ideas for the city. So there'll be like, you know, even like the restaurant association and like all the businesses and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we could do this. We could do that. We could do that. And it's like, guys, the problem is not that people don't have ideas for the city. The problem is not that there like, are not capable people who will be able to action all of these plans or that there's not loads of businesses who want to do particular things. The problem is you have a local authority that is really, really stagnant and cannot seem to grasp the gravity of the situation and what needs to be done to address that, to help it. And it seems to me a a council that is basically just waiting for this to be over and and in the meantime you know come what may if the city dies you know well like i mean i'll tell you what i have a memo from um own keegan that he sent to councillors uh on the 8th of april and um this was uh, in relation to the City Recovery Task Force, which I'll actually get back to because something else has changed with it since it was launched, <laughs> which is <laughs> four days ago. Yeah, five days ago. So basically, Owen Keegan uh, wrote this memo to um, the Lord Mayor and to the councillors. And it's basically like, you know, the past year has been very challenging. It's having, you know, COVID's having an adverse impact on Dublin economy, blah, blah, blah. So just a load of blah, blah, blah stuff. Um and, and it's really, the memo is actually very defeatist, um, you know, kind of talking about, uh, obviously there's loads of things that, that we know around, you know, the emptying out of offices, retail, you know, tourism, blah, 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 all this stuff that we know. He says in the memo, in the past, there has been a widely held perception that the city was financially and economically resilient. 
Now, I don't know who held that perception because obviously a lot of people have been writing about the the house of cards that, that the city has been built on. Um, anyway, however, there's evidence that the pandemic is having a disproportionate impact on the economy of the city centre. So he talks about a number of developments associated with the pandemic uh, that's having that are having an issue. So remote working, online uh, retail activity, resistance to public transport use and tourism. Um, and he says that like if this continues, you know, there'll, there'll be, you know, it'll ha- it'll be hard for, you know, Dublin to kind of recover um, and that that will have implications for the national economy. He then draws some conclusions about the consequences of remote work and online shopping. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure... How- how he's he's coming up with these. I mean, some of them are just kind of common sense, but he says the reduction in demand for housing in Dublin. Oh, so yeah, so the remote working and online shopping. I have no fucking idea what online shopping has to do with this, but anyway, that, that there will have positive consequences, right? Uh, including the reduction in demand for housing in Dublin and less pressure on the Dublin housing market. Now, there has been no construction for a year. Uh, David McWilliams is telling people who buy houses to go on strike because there's no value in the market. There are houses in Dublin going for 100, 110, 120 quid over the asking price. Um, Yes, people are going to be leaving Dublin, but the city is in a housing crisis and and has been for years. If we just make the city shit, no one will want to live in it. Basically. (laughs) So then he's talking about the reduction in demand for office space and less pressure on the Dublin commercial office market. I mean, I think these things like less pressure. I mean, I think things will change an awful lot, but different pressures will kind of emerge. Reduction in demand for urban transportation. I mean, I don't think the pandemic is an argument to reduce public transport, reduce traffic congestion with associated emission. Yeah, that's true. Revitalization of suburban centres and the achievement of more balanced regional growth. Okay, that's true. Anyway, so then he talks about like, we're going to take a proactive leadership role in relation to shaping a physical, economic, social and cultural recovery strategy. Now, you could have done that a year ago, mate. Um, So they're now setting up this, the the task force and he lists the people on it. There's two women, seven guys and one councillor, including one councillor. And the initiative, he kind of goes through the objectives, you know. um, This is written on April 8th, right? A key task will be the preparation of a city centre recovery plan. This is over a year into the pandemic and preparing a city recovery plan is now being identified as a key task. Anyway, what I find really interesting is the, is the final part of this memo. And I'm just going to read it to you now because this kind of cuts to the core of the perception of Dublin City. Uh, this is signed by Owen Keegan. So this is his, his, his take on things. The government announcement of 30th May 2021 made no provision for the general reopening of businesses, especially businesses in the hospitality sector or for public events. Even outdoor dining is not covered. Detailed planning cannot take place until we have a clear indication from government in relation to the timescale for the reopening of business and the facilitation of public gatherings. It is also important to appreciate that measures such as an expansion in outdoor dining opportunities and organisation of events to animate the city centre, while important, are very unlikely on their own to prove sufficient to offset the adverse impacts of sustained high levels of remote working and online shopping an unwillingness to use public transport and a delayed recovery in tourist numbers. Apart from the cost of the staff directly involved in the initiative, I am not proposing a specific financial allocation. Various measures will be funded from existing departmental budgets, signed Owen Keegan. So you have two things there. Well, no, you have multiple things there. Okay, so first of all, just blaming the government for not having uh, dates on when things can reopen and saying that not having dates means you can't plan anything. Okay. That's nonsense. The other part is that like, oh, even if we do these things, they're not going to make that much of a difference. Like outdoor dining. It's like, just fucking do it. You know, like that, that is just like an excuse. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be hard anyway. So let's just not do anything. And the whole, that whole mindset that's outlined there, it's so defeatist. It's basically just like, we, you know, we don't have a vision. We're kind of just giving up. It'll probably be really shit. Yeah, government's kind of to blame because they won't tell things. 
and then at the end establishing this task force and not giving it any budget. There's no financial allocation to this task force that has been set up. So the task force is set up, right? He sends this memo out saying, you know, kind of throwing the hands up in the air. And, you know, this is this, this, like it's a two page thing, or it's like a, you know, it's maybe like a four page thing, you know, something you could just totally bash out uh, if you're paying any attention to the city, bash it out in a few hours. Sends that out. Councillors, a lot of them, like who I've been talking to, are really pissed off. They're pissed off about this thing feeling like it's kind of been thrown together. If it hasn't been, I mean, I hope it was thrown together because if this was actually thought through and this is what you came up with, then the the problems are more like, are bigger than than even I believe them to be. Um, So they're annoyed about that. They're annoyed about the fact that structurally it, it doesn't really, I mean, what are what are the mechanisms here of the recovery task force? Like, who is it reporting to? What is it doing? Where is the strategy? Where is the governance? That doesn't exist. Uh, There's only one councillor on it, which councillors are furious about. And the gender representation is terrible. You have two women women and seven men. I asked the press office multiple times, what is the the story with that? You're going to have to give me a statement with that. And they're like, well, you know, we just picked the people who are responsible, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're having this massive national and global conversation about the marginalization of women from decisions related to the pandemic. You know, this is just not good enough. Cut to Monday night and four days after um, the task force was formed, um, the councillors, there's all these motions passed in their meeting or whatever, and they are raging. And the task force, which is four days old, has to have this massive revamp, which... Um, you know, the, the councillors basically said, you know, the lack of women on it and, and the lack of councillors on it is totally unacceptable. And so um, basically, what do they do? They basically change it. They put more people from different sectors of the different committees in the council on it. So you have Cato Driscoll, Sockdam, who's the chair of the Arts and Culture Committee, uh, Christy Burke um, in transport, um, Michael Pigeon on climate change, the councillors also seek a 50-50 gender balance. Um, the, the the task force is very wedded to this like old school idea of, you know, between the canals, like the commercial district and not, I mean, obviously the, Dublin has changed a lot in the way that it's now kind of more orientated in like villages or, or neighbourhoods are seen as that, but they're still kind of wedded to this kind of thing. Um, and just an awful lot of it appears to be when they're, you know, they're talking about uh, how the task force can like promote and lobby on behalf of the city centre. It's like, it so often feels like the council is more enthusiastic about marketing an idea of Dublin than actually making a Dublin that is worthy of marketing. And we've seen this in these changing the, the PR Dublin, it's a breath of fresh air, Dublin, surprising by nature, Dublin, it's behind you or whatever their fucking latest one is. And it's it's just really frustrating. So now, of course, every the councillor on the back foot, right? Because every I've been kind of pushing this thing, and and Claire Burns then talking about it on Monday, and people are talking about the radio, and the councillors are like shit, and and government, by the way, not happy with how Dublin has been going for the past year. So you have these um, councillors now lobbying the council to actually do something. So a lot of, a lot of Fine Gael councillors um, wrote this letter being like, you know, you need, we need to basically do more stuff. Ray McAdam actually, a Fine Gael councillor wrote this letter to Owen Keegan, I think on behalf of Fine Gael councillors. He's done a couple now, but I just kind of had to laugh because one of them was like, you know, in Paris, they're turning the Champs-Élysées into this massive garden. It's like, we could do that in Dublin. It's like, Bro, if you think for one fucking second that Dublin City Council is going to turn around and turn like O'Connell Street into some like, you know, green Singaporean uh, eco pleasure dome, like we can't even get a jacks, you know, but they're now want to be seen to be like putting the pressure on. And it's like, what were you guys doing for the past year? What were you doing? Because the councillors have been, uh, some of the councillors have been asleep at the wheel as well. But now they want to be seen to be like, no, we need this, we need that, we need the other. And it's like, 
what is going on here, guys? Because we seem to have an executive and a leadership issue that is not offering uh, a vision for the city or saying we're going to do X, Y, Z and that's going to be done. And and this is not some like, oh, well, that's just the way it is because you look at Cork and the CEO there and oh, I've forgotten her surname, apologies, but uh, they're pedestrianising 17 streets. I think they started work on them on Monday. Yet I'm told by Dublin City Council that they can't start pedestrianisation works because they don't fit into the level five criteria. So what's going on there? We have, we have, uh, we had Robert Burns on the podcast um, a while ago, who's out in Dunleary Rathdown. There's loads of public seating in Blackrock uh, Village. I was in, um, I uh, was doing my exercise yesterday outside of my 5K because we can now go beyond that, which is delightful. So I went for a walk in Dunleary Pier, public toilets at the bottom of the pier, all in, in front of, uh, you know, where the pavilion theatre is. That's all now this kind of terraced outdoor dining, outdoor seating. You walk around town and yes, there are some things, some things where you can like, actually not really, you know, like there's the parks and I, it's incredible to me. Um, I, I wonder what, what really happened because there seems to be the inertia, the lack of vision. There's obviously leadership issues because you need somebody to go, okay, this is our opportunity. Let's do X, Y, Z. Some of the things that were done last year have now vanished. For example, all through level five, the gates of the Phoenix Park were still kept open to traffic, which made it very difficult for pedestrians and cyclists. And the small pedestrianisation works that did happen, as you would know, Andre, on South William Street and so on, have now vanished. And and we hear these stories about uh, car park lobbies and all that kind of stuff hanging on. Now we have the story in the Sunday Times um, at the weekend about the potential of pedestrianising Marion Row and Capel Street. Now, I had heard little mumblings about that. So I talked to some of the business owners on Capel Street. I'm like, have you heard any of this? Has the council approached you? Has anybody approached you? No. So it's like, okay, well, you haven't even talked to the businesses yet. And if you actually had streets pedestrianised temporarily, like South William, for example, and you took that away, on what planet are you going to now pedestrianise Capel Street? And so we hear these things and people go, oh, that's great news. That's a great initiative. And it's like, but they're not happening. And when people say, you know, I saw there was uh, some dude from Dublin town or something like on having a Zoom panel, you know, about with some restaurateurs about, do we could do this and we could do that. It's like, yeah. And I could direct Kirsten Stewart's next film. And, you know, I could be in skateboarding for Ireland in the Tokyo Olympics. Like there's loads of things we could do um, and that are possible. But if you do not have a really radical plan with everybody working their minds off with really great vision, with strategy, with, uh, you know, a, a willingness to actually do it you know, ideas are 10 a penny. It's about actually doing them. So we're still in a situation where I've been told that they'll be announced, uh, that they'll tell me what they're doing with the public toilets at the end of ne- this week or early next week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's. I think, you know, you probably gauge from my comms with you over the past while, Andrea, it's really demoralizing. Like I actually was like, I can't believe I spent a month trying to get this. And it's just like, you know, it's just really difficult. And I've been talking to business owners and I've kind of just been saying to them, look, you know, just do what you can. Like there's the there's the out, the uh, outdoor seating grant thing has gone up from that board vulture running in conjunction with local authorities. You can get, you know, I think it's seven, 75% of up to 4,000 back for outdoor furniture and stuff like that. Just try and do that. Just try and do what you can. Um, but it, it, it's mind boggling. And, and I just, it, it's it's kind of, it's crazy. And and also just the perception of the city as this kind of like commercial district that just has to go on ice for a while and no consideration for the people who live in it um, is, is bizarre. So there we go. I don't know what you have to say to that. <laughs> Do you want to take a breath? <laughs> um, I think you've said it all. There's nothing left to be said. I think my two things always are 
when it comes to this is who's responsible for shaping our city and providing amenities and it feels like we don't have anyone who does that and you'd love a little side project not a side like why do i have to think about like maybe we should set up a side project of people who can get shit done and like will have big ideas and do them and try and get funded somehow it's like well you have that it's the council why aren't they doing it um and my other thing is we've had like and there is people in the council who like uh, have ideas and are doing stuff but it just feels like when you have such a big organization and you have such uh, pushback from the top that how are you meant to get anything over the line? But you kind of feel like you want to play Wayne's world for everyone and just be like, if you build it, they will come. Our city could be full and we can't just be going back to, oh, well, we won't have offices. So there's no one to buy the sandwiches. Well, make it a place worthy of being and then it will be. Yeah, there's there just seems to be kind of a defeatist attitude towards the whole thing. I mean, the one the good thing, there are some positive things. I think that the attention on this, um, although sometimes I feel like I'm being gaslit uh, by that, is, is really good. I think that people are angry and frustrated. I think that's useful because they're placing demands on the council and the council is under pressure. Um, now, that kind of lends itself to people scrambling as opposed to actually being strategic and visionary. But anyway, um, I think councillors have to be seen to take action now, uh, even though they don't have really much power to do so. I think even the Fine Gaelers, you know, um, telling the the past different motions on Monday about public toilets and about, you know, supporting the pedestrianisation of streets and considering other streets and stuff like that. Like that is good that councillors, you know, are wise to this. The media is obviously getting more on it. Of course, you do also have these kind of like really <clears throat> these people who are kind of like borderline anti-lockdown just getting in on it because, you know, making a business case um, because it suits a different, you know, political agenda ideology or something. I mean, that's separate to it. But um, Board Fulcha or sorry, Fulcha Ireland issued really, really great guidelines for best practice outdoor dining um, and urban animation, animating the public realm, um, doing stuff outside. Uh, And they're really, really good guidelines. So I think that they'll be really welcome for cafes and restaurants. And the fact that that part of the public, the outdoor public scheme thing um, that Catherine Martin did has now gone up with regards to the thing I was talking about, the the 75% of 4K for outdoor seating, that's really good. That will make a difference. You still do need to apply for a street license for that uh, through the council. Um, Properfood.ie made this real-time all-Ireland map of all outdoor seating that cafes and restaurants have that they're adding to all the time. That's really great. So hopefully you know, that will kind of push things. It just, it's the, the, the frustrating thing for me is that even if things happen now that people think are positive, it's like, yeah, those little bits, those tiny little wins that you may have got, like a toilet are good, but our, our bar is so low and it has been so low and everything could have been so much better had there been a radical plan in, in, in place for things that we so obviously needed have needed for a year so is you know there, is there a good thing to come out of this that maybe there's because so many people don't seem to understand and like I didn't for a long time how the council works and that councillors are always blamed even though they don't really have any power and how we have a council that has an exec, a non-elected executive maybe finally will start questioning this and how the I, I don't know, people are rewarded for keeping quiet about things and not push breaking boundaries and not pushing things along. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be a directly elected mayor um, who has, you know, an accountable cabinet type structure. Um, there needs to be a plebiscite on that. There needs to be more power given to councillors. There needs to be more power given to lo- local government. You know, a lot of a lot of the powers have been stripped by central government. You know, Owen Keegan has a point when he says that the government hasn't, you know, planned various things or that the government has left them short. Like, that, that's kind of true, you know, and um, so, so that's fair, but it's very difficult to go, okay, we're going to give you more control. We're going to give you more power when what they're doing with what they have is so deficient. Um, anyway, that's been my month and, um, I'll keep writing about it, obviously. Um, and I hate to be a downer, you know, cause you don't want to, ju- it's so easy to be like, 
everything's shit. Oh, they're so useless, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not where I'm at. Like, I want to write about really amazing things that are happening in the city and really like things that I can enjoy, things that like everybody in the city can enjoy, all different kinds of people from all different kinds of places. It's it's hard to do that when there's when there's no vision. And, you know, all local authorities have quite similar structures and, and some of them are doing stuff. So you have to wonder like why that is as well. Like Cork, who are just going to be fucking lording it over Dublin now for the whole summer. Okay, so that's that. Uh, let's move on. And um, and hope that our city moves on. And hope that our city moves on too. Okay. Andrea, it's time for something getting in the sea. Yes, it's it's a broad concept. This week I'm putting in the sea the deepening inequality that is rising from the pandemic. Oh, just a little general thing, is it? But I thought it was really interesting that um, the Green TD, Joe O'Brien, proposed um, implementing the solidarity tax on high earners and firms highly profitable in the pandemic, which was initially proposed by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Um, and he wrote to Pascal Donahue and asked if this could be something that would, like, if we're going to talk about we're all in this together, maybe there could be some sort of, like, public support for those who aren't actually all in it together and who are losing their balls and are still closed while other people are fucking creaming it. Um and Pascal Dunhue said no, but um, yeah, the deepening inequality is what's going on in the CEDA. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. The rep, kind of reparationsy tax. I think he called it solidarity. Yeah, solidarity tax. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And now um, it's bananas. <laughs> um, so it's quite a simple it's bananas, but it is like a hundred bunches of bananas that we've spent how many years building up our uh, our armory of hotels in Dublin? And two weeks into our mandatory hotel quarantine, it's at capacity. We don't have enough hotels. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you absolutely messing? Like, I literally, we were like, no more hotels. This should be our, our moment to shine. We've done nothing but like knock everything down and build hotels. And now we can't even facilitate a mandatory hotel quarantine program more than two weeks when we're like discouraging people from traveling and we don't have enough hotels. All the hotels are empty. Like, what is going on? Are they like messing obviously there's a bigger issue that they just don't want it to work really and uh we want to let all the business people fly in and out when they need to but like come on it's absolutely bananas that you would literally have a city full of hotels and running out of mandatory hotel quarantine bananas (laughs) absolutely bananas but now it's time for our fave bits Finally, some joy. <laughs> um, so I don't really have that many five bits, unfortunately, but uh, some of them uh, because we missed last week. Um, it happened last week, but CMAT became the first female solo artist to reach number one on the homegrown charts. That should also be in It's Bananas, by the way. The first female solo artist to reach number one on the homegrown charts. That it must is, be first Irish female solo artist, is it? Yeah, homegrown. Yeah. Um, sorry but uh that's bananas in itself but brilliant uh that it's happened so that is a fave bit of mine another fave bit again back to irish tv like knocking it out of the park at the moment for me anyway uh tommy tiernan at the weekend was so brilliant um again and part my fave bit out of the whole thing was um peter mcberry and he just said this line that has stuck with me and like is kind of my favorite thing. Anyway, gosh, you're just describing socialism, but it's like live simply and share generously. And I feel like if we could just all take that on board, that would be a stunning, what a wonderful world it would be. Um, and yeah, it was a really great interview. And there was also um, – Another interview that was stunning, uh, like from Robbie Lawler talking about um, being uh, HIV, 
be positive um, and the some of the truths that people don't know about um, and don't uh, maybe have access to. But uh, one being that we discussed on our It's a Sin episode, that there's never been more a case of HIV in Ireland than now and that a quarter of those are women. So uh, do get to know your status. And finally, my other final favorite bit this week, Bose, the football club, which I adore. I like, okay, guess what, guys? I'm not a football fan. Surprise. But I love that Bose are constantly challenging what a a community football club is and where their space is. They're never, they're always pushing boundaries of where they can go, I suppose, as a football club um, and with their various projects. And I really respect that. And this week they've named Mark O'Mara as their club artist officer of how they can bring art to the community and what that means and all that kind of jazz. I just think it's such a great initiative. Also good news actually for Bose and uh, for Shells and for Dublin City Council as well. This week they've moved the plan for Daily Mount onto the next stage, uh, the redevelopment of Daily Mount. They got a close to a million quid from the Department of Sport. So that's a good vibe. Well done to everyone involved in that. My fave bits this week, Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix. Absolutely bet into it. Um, I watched a season and a half of it in four days last week. So I had to stop. What is it? it you love it. You would love it. It's a kind of a fly in the wall documentary about Formula One. And I've never really cared about Formula One, you know, apart from like Senna. Um, but it, it the drama like everyone is so bitchy. They're always having these mad fights. There's all this crazy rivalry. Like the teams hate each other. There's people poaching drivers. There's like engines breaking down. Uh, your man from who's the team principal of Red Bull is married to Jerry Halliwell. It's just like the drams. <laughs> oh my God, stunning. Yeah, it's fab. You'd love it. And then just really fast cars as well. And um, just crazy money. And yeah, it's it's fantastic obsessed actually I'm fully obsessed with it oh, yeah. um, the 20 kilometre potential the potential of moving beyond our 5k uh, as I said I was, went out to Dunleary last night to have big long walk it was so nice and just nice to be somewhere else and go oh I'm not just living in this 5 kilometre weird um, place where I'm familiar with every single wall and every single part and path and everything so that was really good to psychologically kind of get myself out of that zone and my other fave bit are the Markovitz Awards were announced which are uh, funding awards from the Arts Council uh, for female artists and really great to just see really braille artists um, get some funding for their work including Gemma Dunleavy, Emer Walsh and Zoe Reardon who I think are three of my favourite Irish artists. I think they're absolutely fantastic all working in different disciplines, all with really unique voices um, and that kind of challenge uh, an awful lot of the, you know, general sappery in the world. So fair play to them. Um, um, so, yeah, so and obviously, uh, so like female non-binary artists and stuff, Mark of Towards, well done. Um, book of the week, um, my book of the week is detransition baby book of the week book of the week book of the week andrew needs to get on that jingle um my uh yeah so so it's um detransition baby by tori peters um there was some hoo-ha about this the 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 really boring and terrible uh transphobic um women who just like as you know gender brexit just the brexiteers of of english feminism um they wrote a letter and signed by loads of dead women yeah yeah signed <laughs> emily dickinson <laughs> um giving out about it because um they're uh transphobic basically but um so these transition baby oh my god it's so good and it weird i usually i you fly through books i'm kind of savoring this one about um maybe two thirds way through an amazing kind of character driven story about uh, a group of people like one um, woman, a trans woman and her ex-partner and that, that person's current partner and motherhood and 
just fucking life and relationships and sex and identity. And it's so brilliantly written. It's so vibrant, vivid, hilarious, smart. I absolutely I'm I'm in it. Like it's really, really good. So I'd, I'd highly recommend it if you're looking for a novel that just really kind of puts you in, in a different country, in a different place. Love. Um, so, yeah. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Costway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack, Sarah Fox told our design. Uh, what's the tuna chicken roll this week? This week's tuna chicken roll is an absolute bop. I've really gotten into discovery on Spotify because, don't you know, most of my music comes about from being out and about. So I don't have any access to music, not to music, but like to discovery because you're in a show and you get a song or you're in a nightclub or you're in a restaurant and you're shazamming all the time. And I just have really, really, really missed that. And the discovery of new trying to make that happen within your four walls is uh is something I've been working on and this one came up with you and I Elder Island but it's a Demi Requisimo remix and it's an absolute summer bop Fab I've been Una Mullally I've been Andrea Horan this has been United Ireland and that was Outdoor You Know The Score (laughs) 